So we can believe that the Bible is important. We can even enjoy reading it most of the time or sometimes. But there has to be a place tonight as we come in and start talking about scripture that we recognize that the Bible has authority over our lives. Um, which some of us don't love the word authority. Like we're like, ooh, like that kind of pushed a button. I don't love that. Um, but authority and who we give authority to really matters. Um, to quote Fred Nelson, who is the Antioch Moves official like Bible teacher guy, um, he says that authority is a power that influences your behavior. And so authority, therefore, deeply matters because your behaviors, the way you make decisions, your worldview will be shaped by who you choose to give authority to. And so when we give something authority, we are actually saying that it has power over us. And so it matters what we give power to. And so there are so many things in our lives that are vying for that place of authority. It could be a professor. It could be your job. It could be a guy or a girl that you have your eye on and you want to give them that voice in your life. Um, there will always be things that want to have authority in your life. And so it's not a matter of if something will have authority, it's what thing. And it's really important that we as believers in Jesus recognize that the word of God, um, that God, that his truth is the ultimate authority and it's the one that we should be giving that place of authority in our life. Um, because if we don't, then scripture doesn't get to influence the way we behave or the way we make decisions or the way we approach our worldview. And so we need a, a biblical definition of truth to be able to live our lives. And so um, I totally got lost in my notes. That's great. Um, but we need to know that the Bible is absolute truth. If we don't, it gets really messy when the Bible starts to call out our sin because then we kind of want to play the game that sin may actually not be sin. Um, and that's a gray road that we really don't want to go down. And furthermore, if I don't believe that the Bible has authority over me, the Bible, which is the inspired word of God, then really what we're saying is that God doesn't have authority over us. And that is a very tricky place to be. Yeah, and so a good gauge of knowing where you're at with that um, is asking yourself the question, um, can the Bible and therefore the God of the Bible tell me what to do? Um, so it's a pretty blunt question and pretty easy to answer. Um, but the Bible, it's, it's full of fun things like promises, healing, the fact that we have a loving and compassionate and gracious Father. And then obviously it's also full of challenging um, commands to obey, like denying yourself, loving your enemies, forgiving others, and fleeing from sexual immorality. Um, all these things that are just um, hard commands for us to actually obey. Um, and we can't just pick and choose um, what in the Bible that we want to have an authority of in our lives. We either take the whole thing as authoritative, um, or otherwise we're saying that its authority is incomplete. If you guys would turn to 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17. Um, this verse always comes out when we talk about scripture, and Travis actually talked about it in his message on Sunday. But it says this, it says, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Probably, if you've been around a church, you've heard this verse many, many times. Um, but it, it really is one of those verses that is foundational, especially as we dig into Scripture, stating that all Scripture is from God, that it's God-breathed, meaning that God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, gave specific people his words to record and write down. 
How do we know this? 2 Peter 1, 20 through 21 tells us. It says, Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So if we have any question where the words of Scripture come from, this verse tells us. It tells us that God gave his words to trusted people, and they recorded them. And today, one of the things that I hear all the time is like, well, people probably messed it up. Like when God gave them his words, like there's no way they got it right. So that means the Bible couldn't possibly be true or right because people wrote it. We've got to go back to this verse and hold it up as truth and say, actually, God is really powerful. I don't think he let his words be changed as he gave them to people. Otherwise, he would have just written them himself and taken people out of the equation. Um, But over the course of 1,500 years, God used approximately 40 different people to record the precious words of Scripture that we have today. Um, There are 66 books in the Bible split between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And within these books, from Genesis to Revelation, there are over 100,000 fulfilled prophecies. There is incredible unity from the beginning to end of Scripture. We read it as a story, um, and actually the story almost parallels itself with the gospel being the middle of the story, um, going from Eden all the way to the new heavens and the new earth in Revelation. Um, And so there's incredible unity among Scripture that doesn't make sense because humans, people, we have a really hard time being unified. A supernatural God gave us these words. He gave us this truth. Um, They're going to throw a picture up on the screen, hopefully. Um, This image is called the Bible cross-reference image. Have any of you guys seen this before? A few of you? Cool. It's beautiful. At least I think it is in a Bible nerdy kind of way. It's beautiful. Um, I'm going to explain what it is so that you know what you're looking at. But basically, on the bottom there, in kind of the gray scale, you see a bar graph. Starting on the left is the first chapter of Genesis, going all the way to Revelation 22 on the right. Um, So basically, every single chapter of the Bible is represented in that bar graph. That really long strip in the middle is the halfway point of the Bible, and it is Psalm 119, which is also the longest chapter in the Bible, if you've ever read it. Um, So the length of each bar basically gives you, like, the length of the chapter that you're looking at. Um, And then... Each arch is connecting one chapter to the other, and what it's showing is where a specific chapter has a cross-reference with another scripture. And so I don't know if you guys know this, but even though Jesus' life is just recorded in the Gospels, there's prophecies about him in Isaiah. So there would be one arch here for every prophecy where Jesus is. Um, And so the different colors just represents the different lengths of the arches, but it's basically creating this beautiful cross-reference image. So there's almost 64,000 cross-references in the Bible. And so what you're literally looking at on the screen is a picture of the supernatural unity that God weaved into the book of the Bible. And so as we keep going tonight, I just want you to keep this image in your head as we talk about the authority of Scripture, as we talk about why it's important that that God literally in a very beautiful way has weaved together this beautiful story that isn't random, that's very specific, and that is very unified. 
Awesome. So in 10 minutes, we just tried to sum up why it's important to know that scripture is authoritative. I mean, that obviously is not enough time to do that. Um, so on your guys' own time, there's plenty of resources to find on why scripture is authoritative. It's an important um, statement for us to make on the front end of any scripture um, teaching. Um, but we do want you guys to know that there is more information out there. We'd be happy to help point you to that and to help um, you guys research that. Um, but what we're talking about tonight is more so how does scripture help us to remain in Jesus? Why do we read scripture? Um, so first off, scripture shows us the character of God. So all of scripture is about humanity's cycle of brokenness and the good God who does everything he can to save us from our brokenness. Um, so Philip Yancey, um, a famous Christian author and journalist, sums up the whole narrative of scripture this way. God gets his family back. And I think that's a beautiful um, depiction or picture of what um, the narrative of scripture looks like. It's God reconciling his children back to himself um, and saving us um, from running away and creating our own um, messy life um, and our own problems. So, and when we read the Bible, we can't help but get a clear picture of who God is. And because every, every page of the Bible speaks to his character and to his glory, and some scholars, they might even say that um, every passage in Scripture points to Jesus, meaning that even if it doesn't directly say Jesus' name, that every page of Scripture points to our triune God. And so speaking of his character, his glory, and his purposes for the earth and humanity. And scripture also shows us the story of God. Um, so try to think back to a time before Netflix and Hulu and all the streaming services, and then when you used to have to just flip through channels, um, and maybe every once in a while there would be a movie that would come on, and you didn't catch it in time at the beginning of the movie, um, but you caught it maybe in the middle of the movie, and you've never seen it before. So you try to watch this movie in the middle of the movie, um, and you have no idea what's going on, because um, you, you weren't invested in the first half of the movie, or you didn't see it at all, um, and so the next half of the movie doesn't make any sense to you. And well, it can be the same with scripture. Um, if we don't know the whole narrative of scripture, it can be confusing and hard for us to pick up just somewhere in the middle. And so that's not an absolute necessity um, for us to read the Bible from cover to cover, but it is extremely helpful for us to know the overall story um, of scripture. One, because it will make more sense when you're reading it, just in a very practical way. And then the other, in the sense that we, as born-again believers, are invited into the family of God and that you're invited into his story as well. So he wants relationship with you, and he wants to use you in his story of reconciling all of his children back to himself. So it's important because we don't want to show up to act three of the play not knowing what happened in act one and act two. Um, so I know that can feel a little daunting to read the whole Bible from cover to cover, and if you haven't before, um, so there are different ways to do that. Um, there's the story version Bible um, that you can have that just has kind of the narrative of Scripture. Um, it's also helpful to just try to, try to start with the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, or try to start um, with the Gospels, try to get an overall arching narrative of God reconciling his family um, back to himself. And like I said, Scripture invites us into relationship with God. So this point of scripture is not just to give us a bunch of knowledge about who God is um, or to know more than those around us about um, what the Bible says, but that's actually pharisaical, right? That's how the Pharisees um, lived, puffed up about their knowledge of the law or about God, but never actually changed by the power and grace of God himself. A preacher I like, Dan Muller, puts it this way. 
If all you do is read your Bible and you don't get alone with him and apply your convictions of what you're reading in relationship with him so his grace can change you and actually make you what you're reading, then you'll get so full of the knowledge of God without revelation of who he is that the word will turn on you and you'll feel judged and condemned. So the point of scripture is to show us who God is, what he's like, and how he wants us to live life with him. It's that with God life that we're after. We're not after just trying to read the Bible, I mean, even for fun or for the sake of knowledge, but really because we want to encounter um, the, the God of the Bible himself. And if we don't, if we don't have that heart about it, then we'll go to the Bible, trying to read it, and we'll see that our, the life that we're living um, doesn't actually measure up to it, and we'll leave uh, walking away shamed and condemned. Um, but instead, when we go to it in relationship with God, and we look at the words of the Bible, and we see that our life isn't living up to that measure, we'll ask the God of the Bible to change us by his grace. Instead of walking away in shame, we'll walk away with hope that that God loves us, and he cares for us, and he wants to, to pick us up and put us in a better place than we were before. Yeah, we don't read the Bible just to finish it and be like, yep, I read the whole Bible. Check. We read the Bible to be transformed and to be changed. And one of the main ways that scripture does that is by calling out our sin. How did I end up with the sin one on this? But yeah, it can kind of feel a little bit like, yeah, I would love to read a book to have it tell me everything that's wrong with me. But that's really not the way that it is. Um, we live in a world where truth is relative. We talked about that earlier. But even just think about COVID the past two years and being like, depending on what news channel you got on, truth was different. And depending on what day of the week or what week or even what year, truth kept changing. Um, that's not just a COVID thing. That's just the world we live in type of thing. Truth changes all the time. It changes by state, by how a person feels on a given day. Um, but that's not how God operates. The God of Genesis is the same God as he is today. He hasn't changed over the course of thousands and thousands of years. Like he has been steady and unmoving and unchangeable. And so this is why we can trust his word to call us out when we're in the wrong. Um, we need a clear standard of morality, guys. We need to know what right and wrong is. We need to know what a path of righteousness is versus a path of destruction. And I even think there's a new thing going around where people are like, oh, I don't really believe in evil. Like, I don't really believe in Satan. I don't believe in all that stuff. Um, that's a really dangerous thought to play around with. Um, evil is real, but so is good. And so we need to be able to clearly see these things and understand the distinction between them. And this is where scripture comes in. Scripture is where the gray gets removed. And God is like, this is what's good. This is what's holy. This is what's pure. This is what's going to destroy your life. Let me just make it really clear for you. Um, we need that. Sometimes we're not very self-aware, and so we need to read scripture so that God can kind of give us a little kick and be like, hey, like, did you see that? Like, that's for you. Um, and sometimes we know, and we just need the truth of scripture to be spoken over us again. Because um, here's the thing. Sin is fun. <laughs> it's pleasurable. It's tempting. And it's really hard to walk away from. And we need Jesus' help ultimately to do it. And so this is why God uses the Bible to expose our sin and our blind spots so that we can actually choose differently and walk away from the sin. Um, a lot of times Satan tries to convince us that sin is our portion and that it's impossible to walk away from things. Um, but when we read the Bible, that's not in there. Like I've read it cover to cover 
it's pretty much a book of hope and freedom and life. Um, and so we have to go back to the source constantly to remind us of those things, to remind our hearts um, of the truth that God has for us. And also for him to call us out in our sins so that we can actually get there. Um, because there's an exchange. We don't get to keep holding on to our sin and also holding on to the truth and grace at the same time. Something has to give in that. And so sin gets in the way of our intimacy with God. Um, but scripture shows us the way back to him. It shows us how to deal with our sin and how to actually go back to our creator. Because he's not going anywhere, but we try to push him away. And he's like, no, come back, come back. And so in the same way that scripture calls our sin out, scripture then invites us into grace. And it, it invites us into the deepest, most grace-filled place that we've ever known. All of scripture is a story of redemption. Even the stories where you're like, what the heck? Why is that in the Bible? That was a disturbing story. Um, God is showing you that because he's saying there's no place that I can't redeem. And if you stay in it long enough, if you stay in the narrative scripture long enough, you begin to see how God can redeem even the craziest of situations. You can't read the Bible and walk away unconvinced of the crazy, ridiculous, and honestly unfair grace of God. Like you just can't. It's there smacking you in the face the whole time. Um, but you can walk away choosing not to let that grace actually change you. Remember, we don't read the Bible to finish. We read the Bible to change. And sometimes we can walk away with head knowledge that doesn't hit our hearts, um, which is where we need the grace of God to meet us. We need the Holy Spirit to come and transform us and reveal truth to us. Um, there's a passage in Ephesians. My life group was going over it last night, actually. And it talks about how we need the eyes of our heart to reveal, to like reveal the acts of God all around us. And there's something to be said about the fact that we can put truth in front of ourselves, but we need God to reveal things to the eyes of our hearts to be able to actually see the things that he's putting out right in front of us. And so this is where grace comes. We put ourselves in a position to be met by God and his grace comes and actually allows us to walk in truth. Scripture then teaches us what truth actually is. In the same way that scripture has to kind of teach us what sin is, it also has to teach us what the truth is. Um, and especially, there's lately been a lot of rise of New Age movement, and there's even Christian Buddhism, and there's a lot of things. Um, even Islam, when you study it, you're like, okay, a lot of that kind of sounds like Christianity. There's aspects of it in there. Like, it, I like see the truth in it, but I'm a little confused. Um, and those are things that are pseudo-truth or quasi-truth. And sometimes it's easy when something is flat out like a lie. You're like, oh yeah, that's obvious. It's the subtle things that are just close enough to the truth that you're like, um, I think that might be off, but I'm not sure. And now I'm confused. And now I'm just not going to think about it because I'm confused. Um, that's where it gets you. That's where semi-truths and pseudo-truths can creep in. And so it's very important that we have a standard of truth that we can run back to and say, actually, is this right? Is this true north? Is this where I'm trying to go? Um, and scripture is that true north for us. It's the place that we can fall back on always. Um, because, guys, we can sit up here tonight and we can be like, the Bible is true. The word of God is true. It's not true because Chris or I say it's true. It's not true because your life group leader tells you or your professor or your mom or your grandma um, it's just true because it's God's word. People will fail you. People do fail us all the time. God does not. And the Bible is, 
is a testimony to God's character. It is his word. And so there's a place of believing in the inerrancy of scripture and believing in the truth of scripture, but not because of what people have to say about it, but because what God has to say about it and because he has gone to great lengths to give us the word of God as a gift. I like to think about it this way. So scriptures are true north. So true north being like what's straight in front of you. Um, And when we get slightly off sometimes with lies or with pseudo truth, sometimes they're like, 0.0001 slightly off and you're like oh whatever and the thing is 0.001 at the beginning is just barely noticeably off which is fine for a while you can barely tell Um, but in the long run it will start to come out here and when you are trying to go straight forward you'll find yourself out here because over time something that isn't actually true will always lead you astray the bible is the only source of absolute truth that will keep you true north without a doubt, and without fail. Jesus taught us that to be his disciples, that we needed to abide in his word. We needed to abide in his truth. Um, If you guys want to turn to John 15, um, another classic scripture on this. um, It says, starting in verse 7, If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. So good. This passage of scripture is one I come back to over and over and over again when I'm like, Lord, I don't know how to remain read John 15, and then read it again. It's so good. Um, There's so much here, but what I really want to hone in on here, the point that I want to make is that the words of God and his commands are what's key to helping us remain in him. His commands are the reality that we're invited to live out of, and this is how we remain in him. This is how we stay rooted in the Lord. But we have to choose to do this. We have to consciously choose to live out of the place of abiding and out of stepping into the truth of God and not letting ourselves get sidetracked and not letting ourselves fall into pseudo-truth, but staying rooted in the truth of God. Because Satan is the father of lies, um, and he has weaved his lies into much of culture and society um, in as many ways as he possibly can. I mean, he's creating other realities that he would much rather we prefer in realities that are based on lies and things that are not the word of God. And so we need scripture's truth to set us free and to keep us free and to help us actually lead other people into freedom. Yeah, and the good news is that scripture, um, as we see biblically, is an offensive weapon to combat the lies of the enemy. Um, So I'm going to ask you to turn to one more um, passage of scripture, um, to Matthew chapter 4. You guys might already know this one, and we're going to get into it a little bit more tonight. So we're going to pick up in verse 1, Matthew chapter 4. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. 
Um, so just a little context before we um, get into this more. Um, right before in the previous chapter, in Matthew chapter 3, um, at the end of it, um, Jesus was baptized by John, um, and the Holy Spirit um, descended on him like a dove, and the Father spoke his pleasure over him and said, this is my son who I'm well pleased. Um, so right after that, Jesus is led by the Holy Spirit to be tempted by the devil, um, into the wilderness, and the tempter comes to him, and he, he questions that truth that the Father spoke over him. If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of red. And then Jesus' response, but it is written, men shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So not only is he quoting scripture right there, but he's making that point, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So we trust on the words that come from the mouth of God um, to refute the lies of the enemy. And then we see this again in verse 5. And then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your, phone, your foot against a stone. Um, so the enemy is throwing scripture back at Jesus and trying to, to twist it at him. But Jesus says to him, again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God um, to the test. Again, the devil took him to, and the devil tries to do this again um, for a third time. And the point is, the enemy is going to try um, to come at us with lies. He's going to try to even um, twist scripture um, at us. Um, but we know that scripture can be used as an offensive weapon um, against the enemy. Um, but it's also in a knowing relationship with God. So it goes back to that point of like, we're not just using scripture um, as this weapon without relationship with God. Um, but it is in relationship with him of being sons and daughters um, of the living God that we get to um, use scripture as a way to refute the lies of the enemy. So not only that, but it helps us to recognize um, what truth actually is um, and what the reality is that we're actually living in. So as born-again believers, we have the mind of Christ, but our flesh, um, and in our flesh, we are still working out our salvation, and we tend to have a hard time recognizing lies on our own, and we need scripture to be the truth um, that shows us otherwise. I read this book this summer called Talking to Strangers by Malcolm Gladwell. And a little disclaimer, there's some inappropriate language in it, so if you read it, just um, be warned. Um, but anyways, he talks about um, Malcolm Gladwell is this like genius journalist and writes awesome, um, amazing books that are really helpful. Um, but he talks about what's called the truth default theory. Um, and it's this theory coined by a psychologist um, or a psychiatrist, I believe. Um, but anyways, it's a theory that says that we default to believing what other people are telling us is the truth. So even if somebody is bold-faced lying to us, we'll believe them as it's truth. Even if there's a little bit of signs here and there that they're telling us a lie, unless there's overwhelming evidence that they're telling us a lie, we will default to the fact that they're telling us the truth. Um, so that's not to make you guys fearful or skeptics. That's actually a really good thing about humanity and about um, how we are, um, that we're not walking around skeptical of everybody and, and a bunch of like mistrust and stuff like that. 
Um, but it is something um, to make us aware of. Um, the enemy, he can't create. He can only distort and lie and deceive. Um, so he's doing his very best right now to get as many people to um, buy into his lies and to start letting them become um, our reality instead of what truth actually is. Um, but we need scripture to see what the reality um, in the kingdom of heaven actually is and how we live out that reality. We need scripture to actually be the reality that we live our life um, in instead of just um, going to different things to become our reality instead. And like we just talked about, there's a lot of different voices in the world that are vying for our attention. Um, so um, there's Satan, there's even just sometimes our own thoughts or emotions or feelings that go against what God's actually saying. Um, and then there's also God is speaking to us. Um, so we need to know what God's voice sounds like. Um, that's very critical in our walks with the Lord. We have to know what his voice sounds like. Um, and one of the places that we have that's the solid, the only place that we have that's a solid foundation that we know 100% of the time that it's God's voice is scripture, right? That's how we can decipher those moments where like, was this God or was this just myself? Like when we were fasting of like, was that God who told me to eat the cheeseburger right now or not? Like there's different things that in different times when it gets um, hard of like whether we know it's God or not, especially um, in today's world where truth seems really muddy um, and things get really noisy. So I like to liken it to this. Um, if let's say you're on campus or I'm in another busy place like a mall um, and you're walking around and some strangers trying to get your attention and they're on the other side of the mall, um, you're probably not going to hear their voice um, and or recognize that they're trying to talk to you. But then if somebody that you have close relationship with, like your best friend or maybe um, your dad or someone like that, if they even like whisper your name or like let's say they like cough or sneeze, you're probably going to recognize that it's your dad or like it's your best friend, like you know their voice. Um, so it's the same thing um, with, with the voice of God. Um, and we, we know that we can have the recorded voice of God in Scripture where we can get to know his voice and relationship so that we're, when we're in those um, noisy times um, or busy times of life, um, we can trust that that still small voice is, um, is the Lord um, talking to us because we, we know what his voice sounds like from those times we've spent um, ruminating on Scripture. And the good news is if you're in a season where you're like, I just need a word from God. I need him to speak to me. Open your Bible to any page. That's his words. He's speaking. Um, and it's awesome in seasons where he, like, speaks through other means. But when we need a fresh word of God, just go open your Bible. Go to the place that you last left it and say, okay, God, what for me? What's in this for me? Um, we can always have a fresh word from God every day if we are hungry and looking for it. Let's turn to James 1, through 25. I'm going to read it for us. It says, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. When we listen to the word without walking in it, it's actually kind of like forgetting who we truly are. It's looking in the mirror and then immediately forgetting your face. Um, if that imagery doesn't work for you, imagine pulling out your iPhone to check the time and putting it back in your pocket and immediately forgetting what time it is. And so you pull it out again. That's 
exactly what this is talking about here. Um, but since the beginning, God created us in his image, and the Bible is full of God speaking identity over us again and again and again. He calls us sons and daughters. He calls us loved. He calls us forgiven and free. And a lot of times, we can read the Bible and hear these things, or we can sit in a service, um, and then the minute we walk out the doors or head out to class for the day, we forget, and we stop living like freed people. We stop living like people who have a Christ-like identity over them. We forget. We forget the mirror that we just looked into, the mirror that God is giving us. And we forget that God's written and spoken word has the final say on our identity. Do you guys remember earlier how we talked about how authority is something that has power to influence our actions and our decisions? Well, when we give the Bible authority to speak identity over us, it actually transforms us from a hearer to a doer. It's the difference between hearing you're forgiven, um, but actually living a life full of shame, full of sin that you can't get free from, um, and living a life where actually you say no to sin because you know that you're free, you know that you're forgiven, and you live a life walking out in that way. Jesus put it this way in John 15, if you abide in me, you truly are my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. God's words will bring us freedom, and we will be blessed in them if we continue to walk in them, if we continue to remember the mirror of what God is saying, scripture being our mirror for us to look into. But being a hearer and not just, or being a doer and not just a hearer of scripture directly impacts our identity, but it also influences our ability to obey the commands of Jesus. And so it's part identity and it's part action. And the two are tied together in this verse perfectly, just like combines them. Um, so God gives us grace to obey his word, and he invites us to obey and to respond. And oftentimes he does this within the context of community. Community helps encourage us. It helps keep us accountable. It helps refine us and create an environment where we can be unified with each other and so that we can actually strengthen each other and help each other remember who we actually are, who God says we are. God speaks the truth. The godly community actually comes around us to help us retain that truth and live our lives based on the truth. And the beauty of this is it's not just like, okay, I'm going to just go shout truth at myself and hopefully one day I believe it. It's like, I'm going to go read the word, I'm going to meditate on truth, and then I'm going to put myself in environments that are also focused on truth where other people can also join me in this fight and we can all rally around the truth and rally around each other. And this is why things like life group, things like awaken, things like discipleship are so important. Spaces and places where we're rallied around the word of God, where the word of God is a part of your time being with people. Um, I don't know if you guys have been in life group, but every week without fail, my life group, we read a passage and then there's 15 or so different perspectives on the same passage of scripture. And I think this is a beautiful example of why we need each other, um, because the perspective that I have, what God is speaking to me through a particular passage, is actually different than what God is probably speaking to Chris or to any other person in my life group. And so I'll sit there week after week, and someone will say something. I'm like, I've never seen that before. I've never seen that truth be revealed, but that's amazing, and your perspective that you have to that is amazing. And so if we don't put ourselves in spaces with other people, with the word of God, we will miss out on other people's perspective. Um, the Bible says that the word of God is alive and active. 
it is, but sometimes we don't believe that until we interact with the word with other people at the same time and see how differently it can hit us, but all hit us in the places that we need it most. Um, And so on that note, not just a hearer, but a doer. We want the word of God to inform us in our identity. We want it to drive us to community, to be able to be in the word together so that we can stand on the truth together and help each other in it. Um, But we also want it to drive us to practically engaging with scripture. And so tonight, as we kind of round the corner and head to the end of our sermon tonight, we're going to talk about some practical ways to engage in scripture. Um, The first one being read the Bible. Brilliant. Um, But specifically through a reading plan. Um, I think when we talk about the Bible, structure actually is really important. Um, You can just open it to a random place on any given day. And yes, God will speak to you. He will have something for you. But there's something really powerful about actually engaging in the discipline of reading scripture. And this is where reading plans are actually really, really helpful. Um, So how do you come up with a reading plan? What does that even mean? First and foremost, you ask God. You say, God, where should I be reading in scripture? And oftentimes he'll have a specific book for you or a specific couple of books that he wants you to go through. Or maybe it's a topic and he wants you to search every verse on peace in the Bible and just spend time meditating on that. Other times, God's kind of quiet. And really, I think that means you just get to choose. And he's like, just choose something. It's not like he's saying, don't read the Bible. He's just saying, just choose. Like, go through something. Um, And this can be a really good place where if your church body is going through a book of the Bible, um, like our church is going through Malachi right now. So you can be like, I'm actually going to go through Malachi because I'm learning about it on Sunday. And then I can take that and then go into the secret place with the Lord and keep building on the foundation that God is already doing. And especially if you're new to reading the Bible and you're a little intimidated, this can be a really good way to start because if you have questions, your pastor will be prepared to answer your questions. Um, Also, it's okay to have questions and not have answers, but it's a really good way to begin It's also really good to just pray through an amount of scripture to read. Not in a legalistic way, like, if I don't read three chapters every day, I'm just like, not a good Christian. So not the point. Again, we don't read the Bible to finish. We read the Bible to be changed by God. But sometimes we need to, like, set up, like, okay, like, I can do this. Like, I really can. There's a reason why we're assigned homework and reading in school. It's because our teachers know, like, we can do this. And this is the best way that we learn. And we need to set goals for ourselves. And so, again, ask God what he would have you do. Um, But I'm going to throw out a few ideas um, as far as a reading plan. Um, It can be really good if you have never read the Bible before. Chris said this earlier to start in the Pentateuch. So that would be the first five books of the Bible. So um, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. It's the law. It's super good. It's even better in contrast to all of scripture. Um, The gospels are also a really good place to start. The life of Jesus, you just can't go wrong. Um, But also, if you haven't read the whole Bible, this is a shameless plug to read your entire Bible. You can do it. There's 1,189 chapters in the Bible, which feels like a ton. But if you divide it by 365 days, there's two ways you can do it. You can read three chapters a day, every day, which feels like pretty attainable, three chapters. Um, Or you can read four chapters a day and you can miss like 65 days a year where you just like don't read anything and you can play catch up. So there's things like that where literally you can just plan your life and that way when you get up in the morning, you just have a plan so you can just jump into scripture and not have to like waste time thinking about it, which is really, really helpful. Um, 
My family growing up, we read through the whole Bible together. We had this, it was called the Honey Word Bible, which is like a children's version. It was super cheesy. It was the Bible, but it had like these little study notes in it that like were supposed to help kids remember things. And my family, every week we'd have family time and we would read the Bible. And there's five of us and wrangling five children to read the Bible together, especially books like Leviticus or, yeah, Song of Solomon, all of it. We read the whole thing, guys, the whole thing. Um, And every week, my parents would stop and be like, okay, so-and-so, sit up. Okay, so-and-so, like, listen, like, we're reading the Bible. And there was this place where, like, we were not having it. We were not into it. And I know that it was, like, terrible for my parents to have to make us do that. (laughs) Like, they were like, oh, my gosh, like, just go to bed. We'll try again next week. Like, it's fine. Um, But literally, through my entire childhood, zero to 18, we read the whole entire Bible as a family before I graduated. And while the actual reading of the Bible wasn't always super enjoyable because none of us, we were just learning the discipline of reading scripture, um, there was something significant in what my parents were teaching us, and it was a value for the word. It was a value for the authority of scripture. And I share that story because it's okay if that's how you feel about a reading plan or about consistently reading scripture where you're like, like, I don't want to, I'm bored, I fall asleep every time I do this. Um, It's okay. It really is okay. Like, keep going, keep trying, keep pushing through. Um, There's a place of owning it, and there's a place of trying it, and there's a place of, like, sometimes you just have to read a certain amount of the Bible before things start clicking because it's all interconnected, and so sometimes you just got to press in and let God keep speaking to you before it gets good. Um, And it does get good. I'll tell you, everyone hates on Leviticus. I'm kind of a fan of it. Once you realize how much it has to do with Jesus, you're like, this is crazy. This is awesome. Um, but it just requires some pressing in sometimes. And it's okay to not always love it. Like, this is a discipline. So discipline turned to delight. Um, anyways, reading plan. And then what goes hand in hand with this is studying the Bible. And so this is a step deeper. This is a little bit more of an analytical approach. Um, it's where you're reading and you're like, I don't actually know what that means. <laughs> and I'm confused. Um, that's great. You aren't Greek or Hebrew, and you didn't grow up in the ancient um, Near East culture. So there's just going to be things in there that don't make sense to us. Um, And this is where studying the Bible actually gets really helpful and really practical. Um, You literally can just Google things. There's gotquestions.org is a great one with like simple questions where you're like, what in the world is going on? Um, There are so many resources available to study, but it will really make scripture come alive and it can take away some of the confusion. So lots of resources on that. If that's something you're interested in hearing more about, come talk to me because I'd love to tell you more about how to study the Bible, about how to look up a Greek word or a Hebrew word for yourself. You can do it. It's very simple. It doesn't take a seminary degree, like seriously. Um, We don't have time to go into that tonight, but those are really good ways of studying scripture. And one last one that I'll mention is also DBS, which is what we do in life groups here at Antioch. So it stands for Discovery Bible Study. And basically, it's three questions. What does this say about God? What does this say about man? And how am I going to obey this? That's also a way of studying the Bible. It's looking, it's asking a question, and then analytically looking through the scripture, trying to find an answer. And so whether it's through a Hebrew lexicon or through DBS, there's a myriad of ways to study scripture that work for you and based on how you learn and engage with God. All right, I've got a couple more practical ways to engage the word of God Um, especially if you're a little bit more on the feeling side and less on the analytical side. Um, So if you're a little bit more in your feels, listen up. Um, So um, the first one would be meditating on the Word of God. 
And so I really enjoy this one. And I want to clarify that word meditating. So less in like the Eastern tradition way of meditating, of emptying your mind, and more so filling your mind with truth and meditating on it, ruminating on it, chewing on the word of God. Um, so how do we do that? It involves reading it, reading it slowly, reading it out loud, reading it again and again, almost to the point of memorization. And then um, this is a more contemplated practice, but it's in the way of letting the Bible read you. So letting it um, reveal things through you, letting um, the Holy Spirit that's in you reveal truth to you, letting the word of God cut you and, and bring new life to dead places out of you. So why do we do that? Well, um, simply because the mind is the portal to our soul. And we've been given the mind of Christ as born-again believers, but it's important that we continue to feel, uh, fill our minds with truth and meditate on the truth so that we don't get it clouded with, with different lies. Um, again, the main way that the enemy works and draws us um, into temptation and destruction is through lies. So we want to be meditating on truth. We want that constantly in our minds. Um, another way um, to um, encounter God through the Bible and another practical, helpful discipline is combating lies with truth, like we talked about earlier in Matthew 4. Um, so why do we do that? Well, it's important to tend our heart um, and our soul so that we can live in the fullness of life that's available to us. So when we believe lies, we start to um, believe lies about ourselves, about God, and about others around us. And obviously, that just becomes really destructive. Um, so helpful, practical way to do this is to journal. And so journal all the different thoughts that you're having. Um, journal all the different um, sensations that you're feeling or worries that you might have. Identify the patterns that are in there and the lies that are behind those patterns. And, and then what is the truth in exchange for that lie? So go to the word of God. What is um, a passage of scripture or um, a verse in scripture um, that would directly combat that lie? And then memorize that. Let it be the track that's going on in your mind um, that's constantly on replay. And so that when those lies come up, and if you're not going to be perfect at this, it's going to be hard, um, but that you rewire those pathways that are in your mind that are going those negative thoughts or those lies, and now they're going to truth instead. All right, and last one. This is my all-time favorite one. It's called Lectio Divina. Um, so it's a very helpful ancient tradition that is used to simply encounter God rather than to study the Bible for knowledge's sake. It's a meeting place of encounter with God. I've had very powerful encounters through this. I highly recommend it. Um, it takes some time to really get into it, and it has to be done in the practices of silence and solitude. Um, but how do we do this? Well, the first is that the text is seen as a gift to be received, not a problem to be dissected. Um, let the text come to you. So again, this is less on the analytical side where we're trying to dissect it and more so on a place where we're receiving the text as a gift. Um, and the second is that in the Lectio tradition, um, it teaches us that in order to receive what the text has to offer, we must read slowly. So again, it's that place of um, meditating on it, filling our minds with it. And the third is the fact that it's a way of prayer. So before reading, we pray that God will speak to us through the text. And during we, reading, we allow the reading to evolve into um, that kind of contemplative, meditative type um, prayer. Where we're actually even imagining ourselves, putting ourselves in the scene that's happening in the Bible and letting God speak to us through it. So that where that prayerful reading actually becomes a prayerful living where we're living it out of what we're reading. Awesome.
If you have any questions on all of that, we threw a lot at you, so we'd love to talk to you more about it. But would you guys actually stand with me? Actually, I'm like, I don't know if I can actually stand. So I'm going to sit, but y'all stand. Um, I'm going to read one more scripture over us tonight as we head into a response time. Um, so if it helps you to close your eyes for just a second, go ahead and close your eyes. Um, but it comes from Luke 6, 46 through 49. It says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. And just as I was praying about how to close out tonight, I felt like God just kept speaking the word foundations. Um, and we had this verse, and we were like, okay, how is this going to fit into the sermon? Um, but I, I felt like God brought me back to a prophetic word that someone actually gave me my D school year. Um, and my D school year, I think it was probably September of that year. And I would, D school, it's like a year that you give to the Lord to encounter him, to be made more like him. Um, I was hungry. I was ready, like, to be in God's presence, to be changed. And I was worshiping. Um, and someone came up to me, and they were like, hey, I feel like God is speaking to the foundation of your life. I was like, okay, cool. They're like, I see the foundation and there's a foundation laid, but I feel like God is coming and he's perfecting like every stone or every tile. And when you think about people who lay tile, it's like the worst job ever because it has to be perfect. It can't be slightly off at all. And there's a lot of different pieces that you have to put together. And so this person was like, I see this picture of like, God has laid your foundation, but there's places where the tile has just gotten just a little bit off and God is coming and he's perfecting it again. He's bringing it perfectly into alignment to where it needs to be. And I felt like there was this place for us tonight of maybe you have a foundation in God and you're like, I know the word of God, like I know the truth. Um, but there might be slight places where lies have creeped in or where things that are so close to the truth that you may actually not be aware of it, that God is wanting to come and reset the foundation of your heart tonight. And so as we head into response, uh, I just feel like there's this place of us saying, okay, God, are there lies? Are there places of, of things that are not true that I'm actually believing um, in my mind, in my heart, in the way that I live my life? Um, and kind of secondly with that, we felt like there also were places where um, maybe you know scripture, maybe you like know the Bible and you're like, I have a foundation with the Lord, but I just have a hard time walking it out. Like it's my foundation, but I, I don't actually feel like I have a foundation because it feels like head knowledge that hasn't connected with my heart yet. And so just also felt like there was this place tonight of, of God coming and extending grace and saying, hey, here's the truth. Now let me give you grace to be able to actually walk it out and to live in it. Um, and so tonight, as we, as we just enter into a time of response, kind of on that word of foundations, I want us to just take a moment and ask God to reveal the shape of our foundation. Um, God, where is our foundation? And specifically when it comes to scripture and the role that it plays in our life. Um, and so we talked about a lot of practicals tonight. <laughs> so this could be a time that you also could just pull out the word of God and engage in it. Um, but really just want to open up the space for God to come and speak, for him to unearth things in us. Um, 
we want the word of God, we want the truth of God. Um, and just feeling like that's, that's the place for us to begin to respond tonight. So Jesus, Father, thank you that you are the author of truth. God, thank you for your word. God, thank you that it is alive and active. And God, that it is speaking, that it has power to change us and to shape us, God. And so, Father, would you come and would you uproot lies tonight? God, would you come and would you reveal places where our foundation needs a fresh word, a fresh touch of truth? God, would you show us places where we're slightly off, God? Jesus, would you just come and would you reveal? We just give you this time, Lord. Would you lead us to respond, Jesus?